Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Michael Crawford on the line. Michael, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You've got a really interesting story and uh, lots of insights and leadership and everything else. So for those that aren't familiar with you, why don't you share real quick a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the conversation. Sure. Well, I'm the current chairman, president, and CEO of the Hall of Fame Resort and Entertainment Company, publicly traded company based in Canton, Ohio. surrounding the Pro Football Hall of Fame, professional football, the sort of backdrop to everything we do. So exciting. I mean, we we develop destination-based assets. We have a lot of media content that we're developing and putting out now. And then gaming, uh, sports betting, e-gaming, fantasy sports, things of that nature. So it's a pretty neat, integrated type of company, one that is familiar to me, given my 25 almost years with the Walt Disney Company. It's a pretty consistent model, although it's based on uh, sports and specifically, in this case, professional football, uh, still a lot of synergy between what we do and the business units. Before that, I was president of Four Seasons Hotels for uh, about four and a half years, spent a lot of time in Asia, but then you know ran the company more broadly uh, from Toronto for the last couple of years. And then before that, I, I had 25 almost years with the Walt Disney Company starting in Florida wearing a polyester costume and then working my way up to become a senior executive and doing deals uh, for them overseas and running companies in China. So pretty lucky, uh, all the stuff I've been able to do. Yes. And I, it's one of those things where, you know, I hear a lot of that where, you know, people that started, you know, working, you know, just wearing costumes and sets and things like that, just, you know, did did the work and and did everything and could rise up through the ranks. It's always good to hear organizations that do a really good job of promoting within and creating the opportunities uh, for that. And we know that uh, Disney is definitely one of those organizations. Yeah, Disney, Disney and Four Seasons, really cultures that sort of groom from within. We're mirroring that at the Hall of Fame Resort and Entertainment Company. You know, as you come up through an organization, you you understand sort of how it works and the things that people who are really delivering the experience, what they have to go through. And it makes you appreciate more those sort of strategic business decisions you have to make. I always said, I don't know how you're strategic about something that you don't know how it works. So those companies and my company now are very focused on that type of culture. That's important. Yeah. Cause the more people that have a complete understanding of how things work, can see things that you might not see in your leadership role just because you're not present at that particular spot at any given time or just the interactions that they have that you may not be aware they have. It's like, oh, wait a minute, there's opportunities here to improve this or we're getting a lot of feedback around this and you can adjust. And if if people don't feel the safety of being able to offer those suggestions and ideas, then you know, their their growth is stunted. The organization, of course, uh, gets impacted by that because there's lost opportunities to improve the customer experience, and it just has a huge ripple effect. You nailed it. I, I think safety is the key word, right? I mean, 
you're not always going to take every suggestion. You may not have the budget for everything that somebody comes up with, or or it may not be the right time. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if they feel safe to raise it and it's considered and they're heard, I think that's what you know everyone's expecting now. Our organization and a lot of organizations are having this upside down pyramid concept where you know you better be listening. The people at the top are your consumers, your guests. And then the people right below them are the are the ones delivering that experience. And you know when you have uh, an environment where you're not only welcoming that kind of input, but you're, you're you're taking it and you're acting upon it, I think people really feel that and feel more connected. And and then it creates that ownership. Look, when you own something, you really value it. And I I always talk to our team about be the consumer, you know, look at it through their eyes. And if you wouldn't like something or you would really value it, then let's talk about it and let's see if we can change it. So the the safety part of what you just said, I couldn't agree with more. Yeah, we're starting to see that a little bit more too. a lot of conversations around workplace safety and environment, workplace culture, because with, you know, the rampant you know, during the pandemic, of course, and afterwards, you know, people quitting or quiet quitting or burnout or you name it, there's been all kinds of different challenges that organizations have been facing, but the healthy ones have been able to navigate through that because again, they've always had this psychological safety component to their organization. Uh, they may not necessarily talk about it, but it's part of their DNA. So people just feel you know, that they're a part of it and their contributions are making a difference and they, they actually enjoy doing the work that they do. And I think it gives them energy too. You know, mm-hmm. when I look at our team here and I remember, you know, my days with Disney, I just loved coming in and doing what I did. And I, I liked the teammates. I liked, you know, the impact that I could, I could have, or I felt I could have, you know, whether I did or I didn't. And I see that, you know, today and the, the organizations that are really successful, I think are the ones that create those environments where people enjoy coming to work. Yeah, we listen, I think everybody liked being at home uh, for a year or or so. And it sort of reminded us that balance is important, that taking time with family, friends, doing things is important, especially those type A personalities, those overachievers. But I also believe that organizations that really have created a dynamic workplace where people feel valued and that they their contributions are really welcome. We're social beings. Everybody likes, and I see it, you know, the team huddles up here and we've created little huddle rooms in different areas that, uh, you know, we theme everything. We're, we're, I'm a Disney guy from the past, so we theme everything. We got concession stands for, you know, instead of coffee areas and stuff like that. So people enjoy that, that collegial environment and being able to contribute together. And uh, I think that's, I think that's going to continue. There's an evolution of balance between home and here. And I think that flexibility is something that we'll always continue to value. But coming back to the workplace, I've seen, you know, a real resurgence in that for our company. Yeah, the social interaction is definitely something that I missed because in my work, you know, I do most of it from home, but, you know, I'd go out speaking engagements, working with clients and all of that. And when we couldn't do that for a period of time, it, it, 
I realized it right away. It's like, wow, there's like a part of me that is missing. So when it was okay to be able to do that again, it was rejuvenating. And it's, you know, each organization is going to be different, but I, I find that, you know, those face to face, you know, meetings, conversations, especially if it's been a case where you do a lot of stuff, let's say hybrid or remote, but then when you're in, when you're in, it's almost, especially in a healthy organization, it's like a reunion. It's like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. This is so great that you're here. And it really amplifies, like you said, you know, the need for social interaction and that when we collectively come together and that, and it's a great place to be able to do things, you know, that's when you can, you know, create some, you know, great dynamics. And, and before we continue, you know, kudos to you for, you know, bringing the, you know, the, the Disney way of, you know, changing a workplace, you know, having concession stands and huddle rooms and, you know, theming it to, you know, what, you know, Canton, Ohio is all about. And it's, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm thrilled that you did that because again, it, that, makes going to work different because easily you could have been in an office building with the offices in the perimeters, cubicles in the middle, you know, coffee room, whatever, a little break room, all that. Yeah. We, we've seen that we've done that, but to be able to um, change it up and theme it up a little bit, it, it, it makes it more playful. And yeah. that's when creativity happens and people, when people get creative you know this. You realize what happens when the creativity, creativity, excuse me, comes into the picture. It just changes everything. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be expensive either, right? You know, I think sometimes organizations lose the narrative. It's not about big fancy setups, and and you can be creative and have things that are unique. When people come into our office, we've got, as an example, we've got all thirty-two NFL team helmets. Uh, on little posts, you know, and they're sort of stacked. Uh, and they come out, wow, that's a, that's a wow. And then we've got, as we were designing the office, we've got some cutouts into the, uh, the wall space that look like little bleacher seats looking out into a, a stadium. Our, you know, what helps us is our office does face right out into our professional NFL certified stadium. So people come in and immediately go, wow, I'm looking right out into the stadium and it looks fantastic. But I think, you know, for me, I just wanted to go back to one thing you were talking about. The social part of it goes beyond just being social. I'm I'm one of these guys that even growing up through my career, I like training and development and grooming the next generation. That's hard to do like this. And it's not that it can't be done, but boy, those times going to a meeting after a meeting where somebody can stop you and say, hey, you just said this. Can I just ask you a question? What does that actually mean? And how does that look from your perspective? Or we're intentionally, and we design the office this way, our, we have two floors and there's an internal uh, connector, which I think is great. Our, our team is on the top floor and we're on the bottom floor. So we're here to support them, right? And so everything I do, I have to go from the bottom to the top. And that's intentional because I'm stopping and I'm talking to an analyst. I'm talking to a person doing public relations. And that interaction, I sometimes forget because I just take it for granted, but our team values that. And it's a young group that really has a chance to then interact with somebody who has been around for a couple, three decades, right? And 
And that experience transfer really does get lost when you don't have that ability to interact face to face, or at least a piece of it does, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And and congratulations on that design. That's a great way to do it. And uh, again, walking around, it's it's not micromanaging. It's you know walking around and being seen, having just conversations. How are things? How's this project going? You know, uh, you know, we just landed this client. What what are they like working with so far? Any anything out of the ordinary? Anything different than what we've done in the past? Those kind of conversations happen when you walk by and somebody may see you and go oh i've been meaning to ask michael this and you know they have that opportunity yeah. you know and, and if it and they it would be a one-on-one -on -one type of thing where if you're on a group zoom call you know they they may not want to do that or they're like mm, i'm gonna private message and say can we line up a separate call well you know there's the nuances of that i mean it, it's been done obviously we we had to do it for a while but there's something to be said about in person and yeah. I, I'm I'm of the opinion that there at least should be a component of that. Uh, if there's some hybrid and you work a couple of days remotely and it works for your customers and there's no drop off and no impact on productivity with your other teammates and all of that, if that's what needs to happen and it works for somebody, great, okay. But I, I think it's you know like you said earlier, you know a lot of us did get comfortable. Uh, being at home and comfort doesn't grow. The only thing that grows is your waistline, which I think a lot of people probably did have that happen. It was one of the things I told people, you know, on my show, or if I was doing a remote keynote or something like that, as we were approaching the, we can go out and do things again type of thing. I was telling people, okay, you're likely going to be called back to the office. You've been wearing t-shirts and sweatpants for the last year. You probably haven't put on your work clothes in a year. You might want to try those on right now before you have to go into work because unless they change the dress code, it's probably not t-shirts and sweats back in the office. So you go to put on those pants and it's doing one of these things. Yeah, yeah you've got an option. One, get to the gym. Uh, two, go to the store and get some you know larger sized slacks and you'll be ready to go. But just one of those tips that I used to give people. It's like, yeah, you might want to try. Thankfully for me, my clothes still fit. So I did something right. But well, uh, I would say to folks, you either went one of two ways on so many different topics, right? You either found out that you really loved your spouse and you got along well, or you found out mm, maybe this isn't going to work. And I don't say that in jest. It was the same with fitness. You either got really fit or you didn't get fit. You had COVID babies or you didn't have COVID babies. I think the one thing, you know, for me that I learned is some of the things that I was doing, you know, I'd get on a plane to go have an hour meeting on Park Avenue with the NFL. Do I, do I need to do that? I can probably do that via Zoom. Now, every once in a while, I need to do that because of the relationship and, hey, let's have a lunch while I'm here and you can extend that meeting a little bit more. Some of the things, uh, even business casual, I think has become a little bit more casual than business casual. And I think everybody's sort of been accepting of that. But, you know, look, I think there are some lessons that we all learned during that difficult period that we'll take with us. And some of it is we got to leave 
behind and we got to continue on and, and do things that are going to help. Uh, fortunately for us, we're in a business where we can't serve our guests from home, right? So we actually have to be present, much like Disney and other companies. And I think that really does help us. And, um, you know, I do think other companies are still grappling with stay home, hybrid, come back full. The one thing I will know and, and tell you, I know, is that real estate around this country has a lot of office space in it. And boy, that doesn't just go away. So somehow, will continue to have this evolution happen. Yeah, and it's definitely uh, a challenge for a lot of commercial real estate people right now because they've got all this vacant space in certain markets. You know, you mentioned Toronto. You know, Toronto's at you know be maybe fifty percent of its pre-COVID downtown traffic. Uh, it's one of those anomalies where other big cities, you know, New York, you know, LA, you know, they're not maybe not a hundred percent, but they're a lot closer to the way it was before. Uh, but for some reason, Toronto still hasn't, and it's obviously going to impact when it comes to renewing. And then of course, factoring in interest rates and costs like that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that could be on the wrong side of things when it comes to renewal time. And it's concerning to me, of course, but again, yeah, as when people say, what's it going to be? It's like, um, it's still in progress. We're still sorting all this out, but it, it, it'll it find its rhythm for you know period of time and you know, hopefully it benefits everybody. So before I forget, let's talk about your book. You know, yeah. you know it's we, we got talking on all kinds of different things, which I love, but it's like, oh, wait a minute, we got to talk about your brand new book. So why don't you share a bit about that? Well, it's, I, I think you can kind of see the uh, the book behind me here. Yeah, I, it, the title is From the Mouse's House to the Penthouse. And a lot of folks get a little confused. Well, is, what's the penthouse mean? Well, working for the Walt Disney Company is obviously the Mouse's House and the penthouse being a high-end luxury hotel brand like Four Seasons. I, I spent you know a lot of time uh, doing deals and building company brands and extending those brands into different business verticals, if you will. And so, you know, for years, I had folks that I'd worked with saying, gosh, you should write a book. And I spent a lot of time away from my daughter. And and I thought, you know, this may make sense for, for me now, you know, I have the ability to kind of tell a story. And so, you know, we were talking just a few moments ago about some of the simple lessons in life. I think if you read the book, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, Chinese arithmetic in there, no pun intended. It's, it's basic leadership lessons. It's, hey, think about cultures when you start to do business someplace else or even in your home country. New York has a different culture from LA, has a different culture from Alabama, has a different, you know, wherever, right? And some of that comes out, I think, relationships and how you build relationships through trust and communication. Uh, some basics around negotiation. I, I'm a Midwest guy. I grew up in Ohio, and uh, I've always carried that with me as sort of a, a, you know, a badge of honor, if you will. Some people look at that like, oh, you're kind of from Ohio. They're, they're sort of unsophisticated there, and I don't mean that to sound the wrong way. I've just had that perception versus, you know, people from New York or people from California or, or Florida, even Miami, hotbed markets that have big metropolitan areas. I, I do deals very directly. Um, I do them openly with transparency. I, I try to make sure that the, the, an overused phrase that they're a win-win. I've always looked at these things like, hey, if I'm going to be in business with somebody for many years, I don't want them looking back on this 
time where we had to get this deal done and say, gosh, you screwed me. So I'm going to be, you know, uh, not happy for the rest of this relationship. And so when I had to do this, the biggest thing I've ever had to do is work with the communist government from uh, Beijing and Shanghai to get something that they had on the non-preferred development list, like theme parks and, and Western theme parks in particular, to get that approved in China. You really had to use air, every arrow in your quiver, but it was a lot of basic relationship, trust, communication. And I found that it wasn't just with the Chinese, it was back with the Disney company because they're sitting back in Burbank saying, wait a minute, what's this guy doing over there? Is he giving away the farm or, or going rogue? Um, but but building trust and communicating was uh, really important. And I think that's the basis of the book. And so far, you know, knock on wood, the, the book seems to be doing well. And I've gotten a lot of feedback that it's very readable. And, the you know, the anecdotes in there are understandable and relatable. So that's for me, listen, I'm not an author, I'm a business guy. So I wanted to have something that could translate to people. And, you know, I find there's a lot of folks that like Disney or Four Seasons and, and business folks that it sort of appeals to a much broader audience than just a, I, I had someone say to me, gosh, I thought it was gonna be more like a textbook. I said, no, I'm not smart enough to write a textbook. So uh, I, I was blessed to be able to write it and, and thankful that I got it out. I'm thankful you got it out too, because there's great stories in there. And, you know, just the, you know, dealing with a very, I'll use the word strict um, government with, you know, very fine protocols. Uh, you know, you mentioned Toronto. It's kind of like trying to do business in Quebec. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, there's, there's some guidelines and things that they're really, really firm on. But again, you, you nailed it on the head is like, it's, trust it's communication it's going in there without an agenda other than i want this to be win-win and once and you walk the talk and they recognize that and you were able to you know meet the needs that they needed and obviously back back home in burbank so um they don't go what in the world are we doing you know we you know disney doesn't like losing money I, right. I I I know that. Um, or risk uh, your brand. Oh, exactly. Imagination. Yeah, it's it is. You know, they can go. You know, and we've seen that in in history where great brands all of a sudden are are diminished because of something or another. It doesn't really matter what, but it it it, it can be really problematic for them. So it's you know they've they've done a lot of work over these last several decades to build a brand that is global. They know it and, you know, very, very careful. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, let's, and I I forgot this part of it, but how, how did you get to the point where you were going to be going over uh, and spending time in Asia to, to do these things? You know, it's like, you know, how does, how does a boy from Ohio end up in, uh, Beijing uh, negotiating with the Chinese government. What, what, what you know? Were you in a, what level at, at Disney? Were you at that point? And they said, okay, we we want to have expansion and in, into China. Yeah, well, I won't I won't go through the whole story because it's it's pretty long. But I'll tell you the lesson for me was just, and it was from my father. Just do what do what is asked of you. Do more. Be the guy that comes in early and leaves late. I tell my daughter all the time: be the person you would want to have working for you. 
If you want somebody who's lazy and complains and expects a promotion before they earn a promotion, go ahead and be that. I don't think it's going to get you far in life. Some things don't change, right? We always talk about generational gaps and gosh, I can remember my grandparents. Oh, you younger generation, you don't understand. We say the same things right now about the millennials and, and the alpha generation. I mean, come on. All it really is, is just appreciating the evolution in how, how people work and what motivates them. And it's the same thing over and over again. But I got there. I was lucky enough. Um, to be a part of a deal team that was transforming Disney-owned and operated assets into third-party-owned and operated assets on Disney properties. Wolfgang Puck, Cirque du Soleil, House of Blues, Ghirardelli, and had some success doing that. And then I was opening a property in California for Disney, and I got a call from a guy, I'll never forget, his name is Jim Corr, he's a great guy, senior executive at the Disney company. He said, hey, you got some skills that we think are transferable to go run some stuff in Japan. I'd really like you to go do that. Again, I'm a kid from Willard, Ohio, going to Japan. I might as well, I've said, I might as well have gone to the moon. I was scared to death. And I went over there and, and quickly, if you're humble and you're willing to listen and learn, and that was my approach, uh, you quickly understand the cultural nuances to, un, to running a business and being successful and working with others. And I, I did that. And I'll never forget it. And I, I, I also quickly learned the perception of Westerners was you don't listen, you hear to respond. And if you think about conversations, sometimes you're in, you're quickly, you're processing what's being said, and you're sometimes even interrupting the other person so you can respond, right? And I, I think that value and that cultural uh, evolution in my, in myself, really positioned me to be able to be in a, a leadership role for global development. And I was approached as I was leaving Japan, I was going back to run operations in Florida. And a guy, no kidding, this is a true story, he offered me the job. He was the new head of global uh, business development. We were at a blackjack table in Vegas and he offered me a job because we were doing a deal with Cirque du Soleil and we just happened to be sitting there. And I said, I got to be honest with you, I have no idea what global business development means. And he said, don't worry about it. You got this skill, that skill, and the other skill. So I was a vice president and I watched Disney. I was a part of the deal team to start with in China. I wasn't leading it. And the approach, I don't mean this to sound critical, the approach was more Tuesday through Thursday, we go over, we get on a plane Monday, we get there Tuesday, we negotiate Wednesday and Thursday, we fly back before the weekend. And we may do that once or twice a month, if that. Disney had been trying to do that deal for 20 plus years. And I finally, I, I had done a couple of other deals or gotten close to them in Singapore and Malaysia. And I went to the head of Parks and Resorts and the, the deal uh, global business development guys. And I said, listen, let me try this. Let me try this differently. I know what it takes to do stuff in Asia. Let me take a team and just go live over there. And we can get a deal done in six months. Now it ended up being two years, but we did go, they, they, they trusted me. We took, I picked a team that didn't have egos, just willing to go over and be a team. And we went over and, and, you know, about a year and 10 months later, we had a deal that Bob Iger, who was the CEO at the time, still is brought him back, said, I wasn't sure we were ever going to get this done. I, I, this was the last shot that we thought we were going to have. And I think it was good because both. The Chinese government was ready to do it and the Disney company was ready to do it. And you know well, as well as I do, if both sides aren't ready, really ready, and I talk about this in the book, you know, make sure before you actually engage in negotiation that both sides are ready. 
Because if they're not, you're not going to get a good deal if you get a deal at all, and you're going to waste time and money. So that that's kind of, I mean, it's probably a little more than what you asked, but that's how I ended up being able to do this six plus billion dollar deal over there with the, the Chinese government. And I had a fantastic team. I mean, this team, I would have never done that by myself. I had, you know, eight, 10 folks that just committed and lived there and, and left the ego at the door and we got the best deal. It's amazing. It's a great story and it's an amazing book that I highly recommend people pick up. So, Michael, love this conversation. You talk to you for hours about all these great things, but uh, I highly, again, uh, suggest people uh, pick up your book. So where can people find out more about you and all this amazing work you're doing? Well, we're on, uh, you know, Hall of Fame Resort and Entertainment Company dot com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Um, we have Hall of Fame Village dot com. We have an app, everything that you can imagine, Twitter, Instagram. Um, it's a fantastic company. We're really proud to be growing during a difficult time. Frankly, we went public in July of 2020. You couldn't have picked the worst time. The parade of horrible still is going by, but you know, we keep punching and, and we keep getting back up off the floor and, uh, we're doing a lot of really cool stuff. So I, I'm proud of the team here as well. And love to come back and talk to you about that sometime too. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of football fans, including me. I, I grew up in Detroit. We don't have a professional team. There. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Yeah. Yes, we do. 1957. It's It's been a while. Uh, but, but I'm a Cleveland right. fan, so I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, we, you feel my pain. Yeah, we got it. Eventually. Uh, we won't know what to do with it, but it'll eventually happen. We'll, what do we do? Oh, it's like there's parades and stuff. Oh, okay. We got that. So awesome. Well, thank you again, Michael, for being on the show. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.